Today in Radical Personal Finance is a special live Q&A. Personal Finance, a show dedicated to providing you with the knowledge, skills, insight, and encouragement you need to live a rich and meaningful life now while building a plan for financial freedom in 10 years or less. My name is Joshua, and today we have a special live Q&A. Usually we do these shows on Fridays, and today, well, it's Monday. Let's see what happens. I don't know if Friday questions are going to be more fun than Monday questions, but whatever. I'll do my best. on the uh, 500th show of Radical Personal Finance. I thought it'd be fun to do some more audience-related things. I want to share that with uh, with more of you. And so I decided to open up a couple of days of Q&A calls for, uh, for you, the listener, to be able to join in, uh, even if you are not a patron. Uh, usually these Friday Q&A shows, or the Friday Q&A shows are restricted to patrons of the show, uh, but decided it'd be fun to go and uh, have an open mic. Uh, so if you'd like to call into the show, just search, look in the description as you're listening to me right now. Obviously, this is being recorded live, but you're not hearing it live. Look in the description on your phone and there will be a link there in that description uh, or on the computer to my Twitter page where I posted some info on when I'm doing these shows. Today, Monday, October 2, also Tuesday and Wednesday of this week at 1 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And the phone number and all the information that you need is listed right on that page. So we're going to start with Joe in New Jersey. Joe, welcome to Radical Personal Finance. How can I serve you today? Uh, Great to be on the show. Um, so my question kind of revolves around, uh, my unique, uh, compensation package. Um, warning, there's a lot of first world problems, uh, in my story, but nonetheless, <laughs> hey, we are um, all very, so work, we're all very blessed to live. Most of us, uh, obviously I have, I have listeners throughout the world, but those of us who live in the first world are very blessed and privileged to live here. Absolutely. Go ahead. Very true. Very true. Um, so I work for a major tech firm as a software engineer, and one unique part of our compensation packages is that it's very heavy on company stock. Um, so quarterly, after a single one-year cliff, um, we see a lot of this stock vest and come into my control. Um, I'm slated to have my first vesting and quarterly thereafter in February of 2018. Um, given where the market is right now, I'm kind of hesitant to do anything outside of tax advantage accounts by throwing this into low cost index funds. Um, my instinct tells me to pay off as much debt as I can and possibly even go into paying down the principal on my mortgage, even though I do have a fairly advantageous rate. I have a seven one ARM um, that should convert the, the seven expires in 2023, I believe. And I'm currently sitting on a two eight seven rate. Um, so I'm kind of hesitant to put this into equities as I would, you know, following kind of the typical channels that I've read in the past. Um, but I'm wondering if there's something I might be missing, uh, if there's other tax advantages I might be missing out on, if there's just a different way to think about this. Because given the bull run we've been on, I have to imagine that there's a correction coming. And given how much I'm going to be, how much money I'm going to be getting at a single time, it seems kind of risky to throw everything in equities. 
<laughs> I uh, we'll, let's come back to the correction question in a moment. Although one quick comment on that, uh, I have always loved the statement uh, that uh, you know economists. Uh, I first heard Zig Ziglar say it, so I want to give him credit that uh, economists have successfully predicted all seventeen of the last three recessions, <laughs> and I feel that way a little <laughs> bit myself. I expected uh, my personal guess last year was that I thought that by the end of twenty. 16 or during 2017, those were the uh, the statements that I made uh, to my wife. I said, I think by the end of 2016 or during 2017, that we'll probably be uh, back into a recession. It seems like we're long overdue. And I have mentally made my, I personally, that's what I thought would happen. Now, all of the evidence that we have at present seems to indicate that I was wrong uh, in that prediction. I, I can't see that I was wrong in saying that it, you know, that somehow recessions are a thing of the past. It's old and outdated and from the 18th century. So thus, we're not going to have recession again uh, but I was certainly wrong on my timing so <laughs> so that is that is is very thorny of course to predict that but let's come back to that in a minute let's start with the most useful way to approach a question like this which is your personal situation run me through some numbers ballpark and your your annual income uh, household annual income is how much um, including salary stock like I spoke about and cash bonus uh, it should End up somewhere around three hundred and fifty thousand. Okay, and uh, how much is your house worth? Um, last appraisal put it somewhere at four hundred ninety thousand. And how much is the mortgage balance presently? Um, somewhere in the realm of three hundred forty-five thousand. And other major assets, retirement accounts, about how much? Ballpark. Um, ballpark retirement accounts should be in the realm of one hundred fifty thousand. Okay. And other investable assets or investment assets that aren't inside of a retirement account, specifically stocks, equities, things like that? Um, another 50 on top. So 200 total, 150 retirement, 50 taxable. Okay. Cash or cash equivalents, emergency funds, that type of thing, about how much? Um, to realm of 25,000. Okay. And then any other major investment assets, real estate, business interests, et cetera? Uh, no, just personal vehicles, that sort of thing. Okay. Uh, $345,000 on the mortgage. Other debts? Um, yes. Um, student loan debt, that should be paid off, uh, with that February vesting, uh, in the realm of 40,000. Okay. All right. And so other, any other debts other than that? No, we've been we've been fairly aggressive with the debt, so Good that's the last of it. That's great. And so this particular vesting that you're looking at is about forty thousand dollars, right? Um, no, that's just the amount we would pay off the student debt for. Okay. How much? Um, all all in before Uncle Sam gets in there should be uh, assuming the uh, stock price holds as it is today, um, should be in the realm of a hundred thousand in February. Okay. You mentioned tech, and you mentioned that this is your first. Uh, I think you said something like, "This is your first year. You, you've reached this first year cliff vesting, and now you're getting your first quarterly." How long have you been with this company? Um, I started on January 9th of this year. So this is fairly new, and in terms of your work there, uh, and uh, that I think should be a major. Uh, a major area of focus for you to pay attention to uh, because when you're new at a company and if it's in tech, of course, uh, 
there's a difference in how in in your future that you got to pay attention to. It's less stable uh, probably than other some other things. Before this particular company, do you have a good strong history of employment? Good strong history of finding opportunities, or is this kind of a, a breakout position for you? Um, I would certainly call it a breakout position, but I definitely have a strong history in the industry. Um, the only difference between working at my current uh, company is that I've just worked for much earlier stage companies in the past, just because it was sort of a lifestyle thing. Um, I was a little bit younger at the time. Um, I liked the startup vibe, um, but I ended up joining the big company because I sort of hit the adult milestones, got married, bought a house, had a child, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. So uh, comp was always an issue and right. stability, of course, too. The, even though this is a technology company, like you said, they're a little bit more volatile. Um, uh I, I, sorry, I, do, I actually have no problem saying which company it is, if, if you don't mind. Sure, go ahead. Uh, it's Facebook. Oh. Um, so Interesting. we do have a little bit of a decent track record <laughs> in air quotes. Let me, let me moderate my anti-Facebook <laughs> rants then out of respect for your <laughs> employment. Actually, maybe this is, my, this is my inside track here. I can, uh, <laughs> I can ask you all my Facebook questions, <laughs> although I think that's better, hey, better put cool, in a private cool forum. Q&A. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess the best way to uh, uh, approach the Facebook thing is relevant because obviously that makes a big difference in terms of the stability of the company. Um, just to say sure. tech, I, I, I wasn't uh, expecting such a large uh, expression of a company, as you said, of Facebook. So that is a relevant detail. Thank you. The options that you just sketched out, option number one is take the money, put it all into equities, uh, and option number two was take the money, pay off debts, and keep some cash left over. Are those the two options that you're trying to decide between? Uh, essentially, and I imagine there's probably some kind of middle ground in there as well. Um, and the only thing I would just reiterate is that after the February vesting, um, much less money in quantity, um, but quarterly vesting does take over. And I should see windfalls every quarter of about, depending on stock fluctuation, uh, twenty to 25000 So I guess the key thing I would identify with these two decisions is neither of them is particularly time pressing and neither of them is probably going to be particularly impactful on your current lifestyle. That's what makes it hard because oftentimes when when related to personal finance questions, there are uh, things that are, are very timely. Or there are things that are related to that are going to improve your lifestyle. Let's say you don't, you didn't own a home, and uh, you're getting to the point where like we'd really like to own a home, and this lifestyle choice of owning a home uh, and this particular kind of home, this will make a big difference on our family life. Well, in that situation, it's relatively easy because you look and say, is this the right home? Is this the right time? And you prioritize those things that are going to make a big difference in your lifestyle. But whether or not you face, you you have. Uh, student loans uh, and whether or not you have an extra in your current situation, whether or not you have an extra uh, $20,000 or $30,000 in the bank uh, is not, and or whether or not you have your retirement accounts fully funded and you have uh, a non-qualified uh, stock account with uh, you know, seven, $60,000, $70,000 of, of an index fund in it, neither of these is going to make a, a particularly uh, big difference in your life. So that's why this is a fairly unemotional, uh, you know, it's kind of an academic, intellectual question of what's best to do, but there's not a lot of emotion behind it. Is there anything that, with regard to the money, that does have more emotion? Are there any long-held goals that you and your wife have had that the things you'd wanted to pursue that would have more of an emotional weight to them? Hmm. Um, no, like you said, I think we're fairly 
uh, rational when it comes to the decision around this money and all money, really. Um, I suppose the only thing you could really say as far as long-term goals would be just uh, um, relatively debt-free college for our children. Um, we plan on having at least two, uh, maxing out at three kids. Um, what else would be on the docket? Um, having an appropriately sized home for those children. Um, other than that, we're fairly modest people. Um, I wouldn't say we're uh, completely uh, tuned out to the idea of financial independence much earlier than most Americans. Um, we'd certainly like to not necessarily have to work full time in our, let's say, 50s and 60s. Um, but we're both lucky enough that uh, we kind of do what we love. Um, I'm a software engineer, like I said. I, I don't feel like I go to work every day. Um, my wife currently stays home, but uh, you know that might change. Um, we're, we're both incredibly blessed, but nothing, nothing too big as far as life goals. And how old are you currently? Um, I turned 32 this week, and my wife is 31. Well, in terms of how to approach it, uh, I guess uh, I would think carefully to see if there is any major life goal first. It's okay if there's not. But if there is, you don't want to ignore it uh, because oftentimes those things I think can be very, very important, very, very valuable. Now, of course, you're just trying to be prudent and trying to make kind of good intellectual decisions. So let's just tackle this intellectually. Um, with regard to timing the market, it does feel like markets are high and it does feel to me like we're due for a correction. There are good arguments, technical arguments that could be made in that direction. I'm – I lack confidence though making big decisions in that based upon that uh, personally, especially big single decisions. If you are investing kind of broadly in the mainstream approach toward investments using equities, uh, using low-cost uh, investment funds uh, and that your basic theory is that in general, these companies are going to do well. They're going to grow due to – management decisions, taking advantage of new markets, etc. And the basic theory that underlies this is what's called the efficient market hypothesis. Basic idea, depending on which version of the efficient market hypothesis we accept, is um, generally the prices of companies are going to be pretty well priced. Uh, you're going to pay about what a company is worth when you go and buy the stock. From this theory and from this philosophy – it it comes out the natural movement to say that you can probably buy into the market at just about any time because you don't have any special inside information that the market is high. You don't have any special information that every other of the thousands of analysts that are judging the market that they don't have. They ha It's a very competitive environment and so most likely the market price today reflects all of the currently known information. Now, it's easy to think that we have some kind of contrarian uh, insight. For example, it's easy for me to look at the market and say, man, it just seems – everything seems so high. It seems like we're due for a correction. But the market is made up of millions and millions of people who are all buying and selling, trading uh, these assets that they have. And each of them thinks that they're 
making a good move. And so on the aggregate, I think a good dose of humility is in store uh, when it comes to making specific investment decisions. You kind of have to look at it and say, you know what, uh, really? Uh, I, I can't know – I don't know any more than all of these other traders do. You might know more about how to write good software and how to get your code to be very elegant and very efficient. But at the end of the day, you don't know more about the market than I do or than anybody else does. And so the way that you you handle this while being confident to make a decision is you look at it and you say, uh, I'm looking forward over the course of decades and if you're 32 and you're saying, I might like to be financially independent in my 50s or 60s, it's not very important to me that I'm financially independent in five years, over the course of a few decades, chances are things are probably going to work out pretty well. And so if you did invest your surplus into the market uh, and you did it all at one time, I think that would be a very reasonable thing to do because you could look forward and say, this fits my overall investment strategy. I've got a couple of decades for prices to continue to, they'll go up and they'll go down, they'll go up and they'll go down. But on the whole, I'm betting that things will go up. So that's not an, so, so I think that you're you're invested in this mentally in terms of this overall philosophy and given these philosophical constraints of mainstream investing, of the efficient market hypothesis, it makes sense not to worry about any particular unique fluctuation in the market. It makes sense just to go ahead and say, I'm going to go ahead and, and, and put some money in. There's almost never a bad time to buy. The, the theory is this. Current market prices reflect all currently known information. So it's possible that next week some new information will come out or some circumstances will change that will affect market prices. But at the moment, market prices are fair. They reflect all currently known information. Uh, I don't think that's going to make a big difference to your lifestyle, but it will help you to start moving towards uh, more accumulation. And I think that you've got a lot of room uh, to use this new job. Uh, I think you've got a lot of room to start piling up many more substantial assets. Sounds like you've done a great job of, hey, we've got a house that's that, that's appropriate for us, given your current income uh, the, uh, of $350,000 a year, a house valued at four hundred ninety dollars uh, perfectly uh, is a perfectly reasonable decision. Um, you're a little light in terms of where you could be with this, if this income continues uh, in the coming years. You're a little light in terms of investment assets. So I'd love to see you move in that direction. But I think that's just a reflection of the fact that this is a new job, a big step up, a breakthrough uh, career opportunity for you, and that'll happen in the next couple of years. Emotionally, I think there's a, lot, there's a good case to make for paying off the student loans. Uh, I think that would put you in a situation where you have no uh, uh, you have no uh, no debt other than the mortgage, and that's a secured asset, uh, which is probably well financed, and and uh, you can clear yourself of that if you ever move from the house. I think if I woke up in your shoes just emotionally, I would pay off the student loans myself because uh, I don't like having that debt, especially debt that is uh, unsecured debt for which I'm personally liable, uh, and uh, the fact that. I can't uh, – I don't get any protection from those. But that's kind of a, an emotional decision, not so much a clear logical decision. And how I'd balance that in terms of the proper thing to do is, of course, well, how, how much – what's the interest rate? Calculate all that. 
If I woke up in your shoes, I'd pay off the student loans, especially with a $100,000 windfall. I'd pay off the $40,000 of student loans. And then the flip side is if I were you, I'd pile up more of an emergency fund. Uh, rather than pursuing equities right away, I personally would want to build a stronger emergency fund than just $25,000. Do you have any idea of how much your monthly expenses are right now? Uh, yeah. Um, generally, I target around a budget of 6500 um, so if you extrapolate that out to somewhere between an intelligent emergency fund of four to six months, yeah. we're right on the cusp, right on the cusp. Good. Okay. So 6,500 is good. Uh, the, the issue is, well, with 6,500, my calculator stopped working. I, I try not to do live math. Um, but, uh, uh yeah, I guess it is. With $6,500, a six-month emergency fund is going to – $6,500 a month. A six-month uh, six emergency fund is $39,000. And for you as a single income earner uh, with your wife not presently bringing an income into the household, I think a six months would be a target. So $40,000 emergency fund would be good. Uh, and I personally, I think there's a lot of power in, in – in, uh, a little bit more. So I guess depending on how you wind up with taxes, if I woke up in your shoes, I'd probably take some of the windfall, set aside some of it and try to come up with some kind of fun, um, memorable way to spend the money. Um, I'd knock out the student loans and I'd probably put 25 grand in my emergency fund. And I do that with the this particular $100,000 windfall, bring me up to $50,000 emergency fund, make me debt free except for the house. And then I'd schedule something fun uh, for the family, a special way to celebrate our success with this. This, uh, with this earning ability, and then I'd probably develop a formula or a theory to follow with those quarterly um, uh, quarterly disbursements going forward. I guess that's how I'd handle it. Questions, comments, Joe? No, that I, I, this was pretty much um, confirmation of uh, the thoughts I had before I called, but hearing it from somebody whose opinions that I've kind of taken to heart in the past, uh, it gives me a lot more confidence to pull the trigger on exactly what you've outlined. Good. Well, congratulations on having an awesome uh, breakout in your career. I think that's really, um, really tremendous. And it shows even just the power of a career uh, and a career growth. Uh, so I congratulate you on achieving such an incredible career. Uh, I'm sure you've worked very, very hard to develop the skills uh, in order to uh, in order to build that. And uh, just remember, um, you're going to be start to be targeted with all kinds of opportunities. Just because you're earning new money, don't lose any co- or big money, which uh, from what you described, you're earning big money for the first time. Uh, don't lose confidence in your willingness to think things through carefully and use common sense in all of your in all of your decisions. But it sounds like you've got that wrapped up and hopefully I'll continue to serve you in uh, in coming years. Hannah, North Carolina, welcome to Radical Personal Finance. How can I serve you today? Hi, thanks. Um, excuse me. Sorry, that was really gross sounding. Um, <laughs> All good. Um, yeah, so thanks for taking my call. Um, I'm calling, seeking your advice um, on how to proceed in a, uh, in a relationship with somebody that I'm mentoring. So she's a young woman. She's 15. Um, she's living in poverty currently. Um, her mom is a single mom. And uh, she... She saved up several, uh, almost $1,000 over the summer. Um, And then her mom lost a job. There was a series of unfortunate events. And so she gave all her money to her mom. Um, She didn't 
ask me my advice on it then. Um, but I do feel I have a, a space to speak to both mom and daughter. And I was wondering, uh, you know, is that a good thing for a 15 year old to be doing? Should I be, you know, pointing her towards, hey, there's a lot of upcoming expenses in your future? Should, you know, how would you proceed in this situation given the tiny amount of information I've just given you? That is a, I can give you more. Yeah, that is a really interesting question uh, because it, it brings in so many other, uh, so many things. So a couple of questions with regard to the mother and the mother's actions and behavior. Do you see that the mother – is the mother a responsible mother? Is she um, – well, sorry. Is, it an, is, is the mother abusive towards her daughter? No. And by all accounts, obviously they're living in poverty and that's not necessarily that, – that doesn't indicate necessarily yes or no. But from other accounts, does the mother seem to be responsible in her life and in her lifestyle? Um, she is a great mom. She has never successfully held a job for very long, largely because some of her own actions. Um, I, so probably I, I sort of think of her as a good woman, but not particularly, um, she she doesn't take all the right steps right. to escape poverty, okay. so to speak. And so these types of job actions, are we talk is the mother, to the best of your knowledge, is she addicted to drugs or to alcohol? Or are these oh, more no, no, no. Okay, good. All right. Oh man, it's tough. You know, just this weekend I was uh having a conversation with some family members who had a family birthday party. And we were talking about some of the just the different situations of people that are um, are close to us, and some of the different relationships that have developed for us. Um, you know, each of us with different people, but just some some really really struggling people that we are were in their lives, they're in our lives, and we're trying to help them. And I often I often struggle to um, I often struggle to know how to help people at the most basic level of success. You know, I think of um, – I asked Dan, Dan Sullivan uh, a question one time. Dan, Dan Sullivan is a, a well-known executive coach. He has a program called Strategic Coach and it's exclusively open to people who are earning uh, $100,000 or more. Uh, that's his minimum entry requirement for anybody to even apply to be part of the coaching program is you have to be a six-figure income earner. And I asked Dan Sullivan one time, I said um, – you you know you've done all of this incredible coaching work, and he's widely renowned in the in the coaching world as being really good at helping people to go from a hundred thousand dollars a year to a million and 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 beyond. I said you've done all this work in the the coaching world uh, to help people go from a hundred thousand dollars and up. And I said, what about helping people go from zero to a hundred? How do you do that? What thoughts and ideas and, and suggestions do you have to help people go from zero to a hundred? And Dan said, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to I don't know how to help people get that. He says not my thing. And I often personally feel that way when it comes to personal finance that so many people face challenges with regard to you know what what I'm I'm imagining based upon what you're describing. Uh personal problems, uh they they have 
prickly personalities. They struggle to do the basic skills of success, you know, show up on time, um, work hard, just very basic things that aren't necessarily uh, as obviously identifiable as a moral failing, like being an alcoholic. Um, but but they're not, you know, they're not as diagnosable. You know, if somebody's an alcoholic, you can say, well, here you have a problem. Let's work on a solution and a treatment plan, and let's work on an accountability plan, and and let's fix this. But if somebody just has a prickly personality or somebody doesn't do a very good job at thinking ahead, it's a lot harder to know how to help them. Uh, and so <laughs> I often struggle with scenarios like you're describing with a, a mother um, in this circumstance because you, you, you kind of see the things that need to be done, but you don't know how to help them learn. And I, I, I do not have good answers for, uh, for the mother. Um, but maybe we could talk it through um, with the daughter, which is obviously the question that you're asking. I have some thoughts, but what before I do, I just want to hear because you're the one who knows the situation. What do you think? Do you think that the daughter did the right thing? Is doing the right thing here? Um, I I think the daughter did the right thing the first time around. I really would like for her. So she aspires to go to college, um, and I would like for her to have you know, several thousand dollars in the bank before she goes to college. She she would be in a situation where she could probably get, um, you know, scholarships and very minimal debt. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, the Pell Grant and things like that would be able to get her through college. Um, but I worry that she wouldn't, you know, you know, one thing goes wrong at home. Mom asks her to come back. I, I'm worried that she's kind of uh, setting herself up for a codependent relationship mm-hmm. rather than like, you know, I, when I left home, my parents didn't need my help. Right. And so, you know, um, I was able to set up sort of a independent life from my parents, um, relatively quickly. Whereas I, I feel like if she, even if her mom stops asking her for, uh, money, come college time, um, I worry that she would just be so close to the edge and so used to that uh, really, really tight relationship with her family um, that she she wouldn't actually be able to make it through college if she doesn't have some financial buffer before heading off. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So, Kind of the, the the counseling questions. There's there's almost the counseling questions of the relationship, and then there's the financial question of how to help someone get a few thousand dollars as a buffer and and establish their own independent life. Here's how I think through the issues, and I and I want to be very humble in my thoughts. I think in a situation like this, the most important thing is to actually be close to the situation as you are, and to see try to see what's actually going on. Because I don't think the external description is always going to be the appropriate. Uh, you know, you got to be close enough to actually know what's actually going on in this in this circumstance. So I think that first and foremost, parents have a responsibility towards their children. Uh, ideally, the, the the appropriate model for parents is that parents should be in the situation where they're able to support their children and provide for their children and. Uh, uh, it's ideal if they can do that without any um, without 
necessarily the work of the children. Uh, that's really ideal an ideal model. There's a biblical proverb that I have often um, thought was inspirational that it says, a righteous man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And the implication is that there is uh, work that's being done that's not only sufficient to support me, but also my children and my children's children. I've always found that to be um, very inspirational. The challenge is I think there's also a responsibility from children to their parents, and I admire when uh, a child uh, takes that responsibility on seriously. Now, as an adult, it's usually a little bit easier because the adult can – you know, an adult child is an independent person. And so for me as an adult, I have a responsibility to help and support my, my parents, um, and I can do that as an autonomous adult who's able to earn money, have, have my own household, etc. So there's more of an equal footing with my parents in the sense of that we're adults. But as children, I think that there is still some of that responsibility, that there is a, a sense of family responsibility. And there are many families throughout the world who, if it weren't for the contributions financially to the family of the children, the family would starve. And so I admire the ethos of uh, a child supporting her mother, uh, especially a single mother, a single mother living in poverty. I admire that, and I think that's a rightful instinct. But of course, we want to protect the the child, uh, the more vulnerable one, and we want to make sure that she's not being taken advantage of. Uh, and, and that's why we look for those questions about the mother. Is this being used because this is actually an important need in the family? We're going to go hungry. We're going to go without housing. Or is the daughter being abused and her earnings are being abused to allow the mother to make frivolous purchases, things like that? And I don't know how to, to – to, to judge that from an external perspective, but I do think that that I admire the ethos, uh, and, the, and I think it's important and valuable for that daughter to work and support the family. I don't think that there's some kind of arbitrary line that somehow before 18, children should just play, 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 and then after 18, then it doesn't matter what mom or dad do. Uh, children, you know, there's a long line of history, and even today, of young children uh, – you know, nine years old, 10 years old, 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, working and supporting their families. And I think that's – we should honor that. So uh, I mean I guess those are the dimensions that that I look at. I, I do think that it would be valuable to teach, some, teach the child and, and help to teach the daughter um, some of the things to be careful of in terms of the codependent relationship. And here would be my idea in terms of how the daughter could help the mother. Um, depending on what the money was spent on, one way that I think the daughter could help the mother would be to use some of her earnings to take more responsibility for herself. So maybe if she had $1,000 saved as an example, maybe she can make a small gift to the mother, but perhaps uh, if the mother needs the money for something, but perhaps she could say, uh, you know, mom, I want to help. Tell you what, why don't instead of you giving me money for my lunch or instead of you trying to help me clothe myself – I'm going to use some – I'll take these responsibilities over for myself um, and I'll start buying, buying my clothes. I'll start paying for my lunch. I'll start doing some of these things um, and that way the daughter is taking some of the burden from the mother financially but we don't run into the kind of the dangers of the, of the, of the money back and forth. That's one idea that I have supporting the family also in terms of if you see the 
mother making bad decisions, maybe there's a way where hopefully you have access to be able to work with the mother. But maybe there's a way where you can encourage the daughter in some basics ways that she can improve things. Uh, for example, maybe the mother is is overspending in an area that's causing real problems. I think of a of a family that I knew growing up was actually close friends and. Um, this particular mother was a single mother. She had been abandoned by her husband um, and had uh, three beautiful girls. And she worked night and day to provide for her girls. But one of the things that uh, that happened is because she was so overworked uh, to provide for her daughters, that leads to a lot of times inefficiency where she's too tired to – cook from scratch. She's too tired to do some of those frugal things that can help, but there's just no way that she could do those. And so in that context, I've thought of that situation uh, and I've thought, well, maybe there'd be a way that the daughters could contribute meaningfully to the family finances by helping with some of those things that are time intensive, but make a real difference to the savings um, uh, and to, of the family. They're just things that the mother just has no time to be able to do. She can't do them because she's got to work and she's got to earn uh, earn the income. Uh, and then maybe, I don't know, maybe that establishes a good basis for that relationship to be healthy and then to work together, but the daughter to increasingly grow in her earning ability, increasingly grow in her ability to support. Is that helpful at all? Is that kind of the direction that your question is going, Hannah? Um, yeah, th- those are some helpful ideas. I know um, we've definitely discussed, you know, you need to be buying your own clothes now that you're on your earning money and, and things like that. So she has taken on some of those. Um, these were uh, the, the specific money was for a car repair and they had gotten behind on utilities. So that's that's when she gave her mom all the money all at once. Um, but I do think there are um some good principles there and um, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> car repair and utilities. Back, I mean, yeah. how do you, how do you fault that? Those are right, real exactly. needs. Those are real, real needs. If the mom, uh, if a single mom doesn't have a car and she's already got a, a checkered earnings history and she doesn't have the ability to get to work, uh, that's a huge need. That's a real, real need. And then utilities, uh, that's a real need as well. Um, and so it, it, it I don't. I don't know of a single easy answer in a circumstance like that. Uh, I do think that uh, as uh, she's fortunate that, that you're there, my thought would just be in terms of her going to college. Um, yes, her to have some savings will make a big difference. Um, but I think that over time she'll be able to get the scale up enough where she could, uh, you know, where we're not just dealing with a thousand dollars and then she's back to school full time. But when she can start to get into a few thousand dollars, then then that'll that'll provide for her. Um, I, I have no magic question, but it's, it's certainly a challenging situation. I'm, gl- I'm glad you're there, frankly. I, I mean, that's the, that's the only solution that I know of is to have somebody who's thoughtful, who's not emotionally invested, who's near in the situation, who can work with the mother and the daughter and provide useful counseling and provide the help when they need it. Well, hopefully I can be useful. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> well, you're there for you're there for a reason, uh, and I love to I love to hear that. Uh, I we often I think go too quickly to um, kind of big solutions when in reality somebody needs a friend to come by and help. Any other questions or comments before I go on, Hannah? Uh, no, thank you. Oops, I thought I had one more uh, one more call, and uh, that one just dropped off. Well, I guess that's it for uh, callers for today's show. So let me just close with this encouragement to you. I love hearing circumstances like Hannah just described because Hannah's there. Um, 
And let me just encourage you, get involved in any opportunity that you have to help um, to help somebody. When you find out of, of a person in need, get involved and help. Um, look especially to single parents, um, single moms and dads uh, face a, a Herculean task to establish their families and to and to build you know just a few weeks ago my wife was just flat on her back sick for a few days and i was um i was refreshed <laughs> in how hard it is to get anything <laughs> accomplished on my list all my things i want to do when i'm uh, uh without her to help me uh with our children you know if she were not here uh i would be uh, it would be tough 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 uh you know Three small children do not uh, a great productive day make when when productivity is measured by um, things checked off a to-do list. So get involved. And there are a lot of things that you can do that are very, very simple, that are very, very helpful. If you know of a single mom who's in need, go by and, and, and um, help her with some home projects. Uh, maybe you can help her fix the roof, help her paint the house, help with the the uh, uh, the landscaping. There are all kinds of things that we can do that don't uh, necessarily involve transferences of money, although money is important. Um, oftentimes, money comes with certain challenges, and especially if you see somebody who is uh, uh, challenged in their management of money, which can be for many reasons. Sometimes you don't want to give direct money. But money is really useful. Um, buy groceries. Do anything you can to help out um, because people who are in these situations face really, really challenging circumstances. And it's only in the context of community, of friends and friends, neighbors and neighbors, uh, church members to church members that that, that they can really uh, oftentimes have the things that they need. So use Hannah's example. Get involved. Mentor the children uh, and get involved. Get close to the situation so that you can give good, helpful, useful uh, help. That's it for today's show. If you'd like to join for tomorrow's show, details in the description. Call in. Talk to you soon. This show is part of the Radical Life Media Network of podcasts and resources. Find out more at RadicalLifeMedia.com. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.